Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and coatings industry. Today's guest is Cutler Knup. He's a director at Disruptech, which is a investment arm of the Haskell company. So Cutler, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Thanks for hosting me. Great. So usually sometimes I like to lead off with sort of a personal question. What is a, your, your best childhood memory? Wow, my best childhood memory. Okay, so I was very fortunate to be homeschooled for much of my younger years. And uh, I grew up in rural North Georgia. And so plenty of land to run around and cause all sorts of mayhem. So probably it had something to do with, you know, running around with my friends, shooting stuff with BB guns or shooting off fireworks or something, something along those lines. But yeah, I had a, had a pretty free wild in uh, childhood. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's before social media, right? You're safe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I do my, uh, you know, it only took me about, you know, three hours or so to knock out my classwork in the morning. And after that, it was like free reign. So looking back in hindsight, it was, it was, uh, it was a great childhood. Sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Now t- tell me more about your background. You're on, you're with uh, Haskell, which we'll talk more about, but what was your background? How'd you get into all this? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm sure like uh, you probably found from talking to the wide variety of people that you you meet with on a regular basis, kind of just one thing led to another and then now I'm here. But as far as my background, I've always been interested in kind of the finance venture realm of things. When I was in college, I had a, stall, a small startup of my own. And so I've always kind of been interested in what it takes to be an entrepreneur. My, my father and my grandfather were both entrepreneurs as well. And so I'd always been interested in that. So I studied um, finance as my major in school. And then once I graduated, I did a several internships during that process, everything from investment banking to chamber of commerce type stuff to the startup on my own, like I mentioned, and then found myself working for an IT services company out of Atlanta under the CFO that they brought on and he ran M&A for UPS. And so I found myself in this kind of cutting my teeth pretty quick on what is corporate development. So understanding what a successful acquisition strategy looks like, growing growing a business to a certain point, and then bringing on outside capital partners to really scale it accordingly. So I ended up growing uh, IT services company that kind of transitioned into software development. Grew that from about a $40 million business to about close to 300 million. And then it got acquired by a company called Cognizant Technologies. And then now it services is there digital consulting services arm. So interesting, great experience. And then right about that time, I got married and my wife took her residency down in Jacksonville, Florida. So relocated and then kind of got sick of bouncing back and forth and was kind of at a plateau with where I was at. And so I started to kind of look at some opportunities and came across this pretty unique position to lead the corporate venture arm for the Haskell company. So Awesome. So you talked about you figuring out how to lead a successful acquisition or M&A side. What are the fundamentals there? Yeah, so I mean, fundamentals are understanding, obviously, your business, where you fit in the market. Also, 
growing trends of where to kind of position yourself. You know, I guess, you know, uh, sports analogies like skate to where the puck's going to be. And so understanding kind of what's trending, especially in something that's as fast moving as IT services and software development, where you're essentially just using teams of folks similar to Pascal instead of building buildings, you're building software products. And so the only difference is that what skills are in demand and the the rate of change with those skills. There's basic engineering skills that were needed 100 years ago and still needed today to, in order to get things done. They use different tools for that. But in, in software, it's a, it's a much more rapidly evolving process. And so kind of balancing those. So from the perspective of the overall strategy to industry agnostic, it's really understanding where your company sits and where you need to be growing and what you need in order to be successful in those skill sets. So identifying that. And then from there, it's being efficient at what you're doing. So doing deals, there's a lot of variables. So you could be sitting on something. Everything's got their own pace as far as what's moving at what points in time. And so understanding that you've got a robust pipeline. You can act quickly when you see a good opportunity because there's nothing that kills deals like time. And so you don't want to let things sit for too long, move quickly. And then if you get a bad taste in your mouth from whether it's a management meeting or whether something in diligence pops up that you just have an uneasy feeling in your gut about, you got to be able to quickly make decisions to keep fishing or cut bait. So I would say that, you know, some of those intrinsic things are important. And then overall, it really comes down to the people. So the acquisition, getting the deal done is one piece, but making sure that the integration of that company and the culture and the people and the alignment incentives that are set up kind of post acquisition, I'd say is just as important as the company that you're trying to buy itself. So interesting. You mentioned people, you also mentioned culture. How do you check for culture in the process of working through an acquisition? Yeah. So again, probably more art than you know, <laughs> science there or whatnot. But uh, you know, I mean I, I think I'm a big believer that culture really does kind of start at the top. And so normally, you know, the folks that you're engaging with is, you know, senior leadership at some level and and you can normally get a pretty quickly feel pretty quick feel for the type of culture that they work down in their organization and the type of people that they're going to hire and that they work with and whatnot. And then, you know, again, just kind of really being able to walk the halls and kind of understand the type of environment that the folks are working in, how friendly it is. I mean, you know, when you walk into a room, it's like you can kind of feel the room too. So it's similar to you walk into an office and you're just even finding your meeting room to have your, you know, your confidential conversation, but just walking around, you can kind of tell whether it's upbeat, people are smiling, laughing, happy, or whether it's more uptight or tense, so to speak. But that's still to this day, I think one of the most important things is talent that you bring into your organization and the culture that you kind of, you breed depends whether you're going to be successful or not. Makes sense. So you touched on this briefly, but going from a software dev side, into a design build and acquisition, what was that learning curve? What was different? Yeah, absolutely. So being the real humble personality that I have, I walked in and said, how hard could it be, right? You know, like <laughs> if, I, if I can figure out software and IT, even though I'm not an you know, engineer or programmer by nature, I can surely figure out construction engineering. How hard can it be? And so walked in, got put in, got humbled very quickly. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm still learning. So, I mean, I've been here for a little over two and a half years now. And every day I learn something new about this industry. Because, I mean, when you think about it, and every day I respect it even more than I did the day before. And so understanding that 
that there's this is a this is an industry that's been around a very 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 long time and that doesn't mean that it's easy to understand by any means it almost means it's it's more complicated than you could ever really imagine just because of the compounding challenges and the way things are being done just because you know that evolves over time and things compound but i will say one thing that was refreshing for me was having spent most of my time and having to understand and doing projects where there was since especially since I wasn't on the project teams or developing the software myself, I would always just kind of see final product. And it was cool to be able to look at a really clean, unique user interface on a mobile application or from from a web design or whatever it may be, being able to see that tangible end product. But there was always this like wanting for you didn't really it was all going on behind the scenes and you couldn't really see it being developed and being done in in time. And what I really like about the industry that I'm in now is there's always this process that you can see over time, whether it's, you know, beginning initial sketches to design to all the way to when you're seeing the building actually come out of the ground to the final product. And it's this lasting impression. So it's pretty cool, like going from what is sort of an intangible product and, and then a lot of its life cycles is being developed to something where every piece about it is really tangible. So I've really enjoyed that aspect as well. And plus, yeah. you know, kind of being able to look back and be like, wow, you know, we built that. It's pretty impressive. So that's cool. And it's the same thing. It's not, it's not discrediting technology because it's even more complex, but it just doesn't resonate the same, I think, because we're, because we're human nature and just our visualization of like, this is physical, this, this in front of me is, this is real, so to speak. So not just lines of code. <laughs> for sure. It definitely things that are physical, at least for myself, I know exactly what you're talking about feel more real and more permanent for sure. Now, the downside of that from our experience is with these industries, like you said, older industries, things take longer to change. So how do you look at these new and emerging innovations and technologies in terms of timelines? Because obviously in the technology sector, the timelines are very compressed. How do you guys view things that are coming up? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Great question. Loaded, loaded question for sure. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think so. That kind of goes back to the, the original thesis of why Disrupt Tech, the corporate venture arm of Haskell was established was things are moving very rapidly as far as the technology in the space. And in order to really understand what's going to be impactful, you need dedicated resources focused on this. You can't just kind of task someone part-time with it or like maybe have someone who has innovation in their title kind of somewhat working on something on the side, whatever it may be. And you need kind of those dedicated eyes on it because of how rapidly it is changing. But that doesn't necessarily translate into how quickly it's being adopted or being implemented actually in the field. So I look at it like the rate of change with technology is is mind-blowing at times and it's no different in construction technology. I think that it's just, it's almost probably before these solutions in a lot of cases will even get into really reach scale in a lot of organizations, there's going to be another version or there's going to be a competitor that is essentially going to emerge kind of post that good idea. Somebody will look at that technology and then maybe it's it's a lot about a timing thing. So you don't want to be too early either. And, and we see a lot of companies that I would say are really working on some revolutionary solutions for companies like Haskell, but they're almost too too early in a sense of the rest of not only the industry, but even us as being a forward-thinking player 
I realize the challenges internally and my company has a mandate to be pushing the envelope and adopting these technologies, but still just inherently to your point, things take time to change. We're also inherently adopting new software and technology in our IT environments is not something that normally there's a whole lot of extra bandwidth for, much less the appetite to do that. And so it's always been a really long sales cycle. And I think that that, that sometimes we see that hindering a lot of startups growth is just saying like, man, you know, I didn't realize it was going to take, this was a 12 month, 18 month sales cycle just to, just to get in on and sign an MSA with you guys, et cetera. And so my group obviously tries to alleviate and cut through a lot of that noise. And that's a benefit of having a separate entity wholly owned to do this is that you can kind of more quickly get these solutions up and running and you don't have to go through the typical contracts that you would have to do with the with the mothership, so to speak. And so that helps a lot, but still, so, you know, I guess I would just say that that's some of the challenges inherently to your point that not only, not only is the industry kind of slow to move, but we're also one of the also, you get that with any big organization, right? It's, it's challenging just to work through the whole vendor management process to begin with. But when you take something like rapidly evolving technologies, and then you try to apply it and you try to kind of shove it through the typical projects, contracting structure or the typical security requirements demanded by your IT like they should be, it just creates friction points that a lot of times when these startups are like, I didn't realize it was going to be this challenging. Yeah. So you touched on a little bit as as you were talking, but with your organization, what's your investment thesis that you put out there? And what yeah, what's what are the key problems in the marketplace that you see and and how you're addressing them? Yeah, absolutely. And so, and in, and in order to address that, I'll just give a little bit more insight as far as from, from Haskell. So Haskell, the parent company, is a design, build, general contractor. We don't do a whole lot of self-performance, probably about 10% or less of our, of our overall works are mostly managing the oversight and doing a lot of design from the project's perspective. And so we have specific areas of focus internally in our business. And then we have broader themes for the overall market. But Disruptech being the corporate venture arm and making investments on behalf of the parent company in in early stage companies that are impacting our business, that's part of that's the biggest piece of our thesis. So at us as an investor, as a strategic investor, you can you can go raise money from from anybody. And you know, especially in this day and age that you know you've got a good enough pitch deck and a good good solution and a good management team, you know, anybody's gonna be willing to fund you. But what's valuable from a corporate perspective is that strategic and the ability to not only provide capital, but also provide a client relationship. And so that's, that's a big part of our thesis is, are we, are we now or would we be in the near future a user of that technology? And would this benefit our organization? Because if we can validate that, we're pretty comfortable to say we're not a whole lot different than our other peer network out there, which is which is a large part of the market and saying if it's providing value for us, chances are it can provide value to others. And and by being a strategic investor, we can also be able to be one of their largest first clients, be a good reference for them, you know, et cetera. So we provide that mutual benefit beyond just capital. So that so that's one. And then I think the second part of your question was, you know, kind of overall themes for what what we're seeing and and where we really see some major impacts. And so I would say that a couple things that really stand out are around really cohesive schedule and management of the project itself. 
it seems rather rudimentary, but there's there's some exciting there's some exciting companies coming up in the space, but I don't think anyone's really really kind of nailed it yet from understanding how important you know the schedule is and and who's viewing all that information and where and from what perspective and what's most important to them and making sure that that all kind of consolidates and rolls up to a dynamic collaborative easy to access interface where all parties can be engaged so essentially you're going to have the most up to date up to date understanding of what's going on another one would be i think in just and this goes to a bigger components just visibility into what's happening on the job site so worker tracking is is probably a, a big piece and you know it's probably not the most correct way to put it worker tracking but essentially you know being able to understand who's on your job site where they are the safety of those individuals as well and automating a lot of the tasks that kind of go along with that understanding you know where the resource is and and who it is can help a lot of that out as well so those those are some wonderful now you know you got me thinking from Haskell's point of view, what is the core competency that the organization has and that they hang their hat on? Yeah, so it's really it's really quality and and understanding. So it's 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 knowing that when you work with Haskell, you know what you're gonna get. It's gonna be on time and on budget and it's going to be a quality product. And so that's that's what we really hang our hat on. And and we don't go chasing a lot of opportunities that we're just trying to win to win, you know, I mean, we're, we know what we're comfortable with from when we're putting bids on our projects and and we stand by that to say, sure, you know, you're always going to be able to find somebody cheaper, but when you're, when you're working with like an organization like Haskell, you know what you're going to get at the end of the day and it's going to be consistent and it's going to be quality and it's going to be delivered, you know, on time and on budget. So that's, that's really where we do kind of stand, stand the proudest, so to speak. Wonderful. So when you're not working on this and, and looking at deals, what do you do? Do you have any hobbies? <laughs> I used to have time for hobbies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so anything, anything really outdoors. I don't think that that little farm boy ever left me. So you know, I always enjoy anything to do with nature. And so, you know, going on hikes. I'm actually, I'm currently living in in Birmingham, Alabama, for a short period. And so, you know, lots of lots of outdoors stuff to do here. It's um, it's got some you know rolling hills, nice topography and stuff. So lots of hikes, lots of good you know overlooks, things like that. And, a big mountain biker as well. So I like to be able to hit the trail whenever. And this is, this is also one of my favorite seasons, which is snow sports. So I'm a big mountain guy. So I uh, haven't had the chance to get out this season yet just due to COVID and some other things, but hopefully maybe can pull off a trip somewhere out West before it's too late. But that's probably one of my other favorite pastimes. Wonderful. Well, you, you had a lot of experience in the uh, investing side, but there's a lot of businesses that are not quite there yet no founders, startups that are kind of growing to a point where it makes sense for your company to acquire. I'm sure you've talked to a lot of these companies. What is the most common advice you give to these companies? Yeah, I would say, I would say being, being approachable from the perspective of understanding the value that you're trying to deliver, but not coming at it from the fact that you have it all figured out, if that makes sense, because there's a it's just inherent, especially if you're an earlier stage company. There's there's always things to learn. So just coming at it from a from a humble perspective and knowing that here's here's what we're trying to bring, but help me better understand is this aligning with what's most important to you, Mr. Customer? And are we, you know, on are we over the target when we're discussing and bringing this to market? So and I really do value a lot of those open conversations. And and I think again, that's another 
benefit of talking with a corporate investor versus just a typical VC is a VC can give you really good insights. And obviously there, you know, there's hundreds of amazing venture firms out there that bring in management teams from a diverse background that can hopefully, you know, provide that expertise. But it's nice from a corporate's perspective to be able to kind of help also steer and guide some of that product development and, you know, do a little bit of handholding along the way to make sure earlier companies are as successful as they can be. So. Yeah. Wonderful. Now, is there just kind of capping it off? Is there anything that I did not ask you that you wanted to cover? No, I mean, I would be willing to kind of talk about anything around like innovation programs and kind of how, what makes those successful is, you know, from, from our side, since Disruptech's unique in its own right, that we're working through what is, what is innovation for the industry? How do you innovation spans across industries? So it's not just a construction engineering specific, you know, challenge. It's, it's really goes across, across that. So dig into some, some about that topic, but that was really the only other thing that I would probably add from this, this perspective. Wonderful. So if someone's listening to this, has a company that may be a fit or has questions, how do they interact with you? How do they get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. So just send me an email, find me on LinkedIn, probably the, the two easiest channels. My email is cutler.nup at haskell.com or you can find me on LinkedIn at cutler.nup. And um, yeah, definitely happy to reach out. This is what we do kind of a day on day, day out basis is just making connections with, with companies that are servicing firms like ours or um, similar in the space. So always happy to strike up a conversation and, and see where it goes. Cutler, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Chad. Thank you. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.